It's great to see you this morning. Everybody doing all right? Yes? Everybody awake? Yeah? All your brackets are perfect, right, so far in the uh, tournament? Hey, uh, just a couple things. Um, As Dave mentioned, uh, this car is really important, but we have like a few hundred of these left over. That was intentional. We don't really know what to do with these after next week. I mean, there's other stuff on here besides Easter, but we bought these with the intention that we would give out thousands, um, hundreds of them at the fair. I mean, at the, uh, what's that thing called? Parade. Yeah. The uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade. We did that, but we have several out here. They're out at the Welcome Center. In addition to the one that you have in your bulletin, and some of you probably didn't even get a bulletin, which is totally fine, uh, but take 10 of these. Take them and hand them out to your neighbors. Absolutely 100% truth is that when you invite someone personally, they are super highly likely to attend. Much, much greater response to that than if we were to mail these. So you are the hands and feet of Jesus to take this message. And again, it's got our VBS, our carnival. It's got our next upcoming series that starts in April. It's got information about the high school students and what they're going to be doing this summer. It's got all kinds of stuff. So be an ambassador for Jesus, not for Discover Christian Church, but for Jesus, and say, hey, if you're not going to Easter services somewhere, why don't you come with me? And uh, three options for him to do that, as Dave mentioned. So just encourage you to do that. All right, quick show of hands. How many of you like bagels? All right. Yeah, that's a pretty high majority there. That's really cool. Um, We are really blessed here in this area. We have some really good bagel places that are close by. Uh, We have uh, Panera, you know, there's good bagels there. Um, Einstein Brothers just up the road. Brugger's, kind of my favorite, just down the road here. Um, A lot of really good bagels available to us. But we do not have the bagel that they have at the... uh, <clears throat> at the, uh, what's it called? The Weston Hotel, yeah, in New York. They have a very special bagel on their menu. Now, let me describe it for you as, it, as it's uh, described, I guess. All right, so it's topped with goji berry-infused jelly. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds expensive. It has golden leaves on it, and I think they're made of real gold. And but this is the, really the critical part, honestly. It's... Uh, It's covered with white truffle cream cheese that comes from the forest of Alba, Italy. Now, the white truffle there is very, very valuable. In fact, uh, a broker, a real estate broker from Hong Kong, bought a 3.3-pound white truffle from there and paid, are you ready, over $160,000 for it. Yikes. Almost... $50,000 a pound. Man, you thought ground beef was getting expensive, right? Well, that is all on top of that bagel. And I'm sure the bagel itself is kind of special, you know, some kind of special flour or something. I don't know. But anyway, before you order the bagel, make sure you check your account. All right? Make sure you check your account balance because the bagel costs $1,000. $1,000 for a bagel. Now, again, some people say, hey, it's totally worth it because that white truffle is really, really rare. It's really hard to find, and so that makes it that valuable. And I think, you know, most of us would say, I cannot afford an $1,000 bagel. But to be really honest, if I could, I wouldn't. (laughs) It's just not worth it. And I certainly wouldn't pay $160,000 for a fungus, right? Why do you guys even eat mushrooms? I mean, it's just a fungus, right? You know that, right? It's a fun... Okay, all right. Well, anyway, um, it's, it's just... You, you think, man, I don't know. It's just, it just doesn't seem to be worth it, right? Imagine that somebody bought you that bagel 
or that 3.3 pound white truffle that you really like and said, here, I just want you to have this. Man, that would be a pretty nice gift, wouldn't it? Well, today we're going to talk about a gift that's been given to us that's much more valuable. Can't put a price on it. But there is this. We couldn't pay. We couldn't pay for it. Jordan mentioned that last week we shared communion together in a very special way, and, and that was awesome. And it was based on the Passover that Jesus, you know, celebrated with his disciples and, and started what we call communion of the Lord's Supper. And to fill in between that event and the event that we see today, we just need to, to, to give a few details. So at that Passover meal, Jesus predicts uh, the denial of Peter, one of his best friends, and he predicts the betrayal of Judas, another of his closest friends. And so Judas leaves uh, the people who are remaining there. They sing a, a hymn together, and then they go out to the garden. And in this garden, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John aside, and he says, I would love for you to pray with me. And they say, absolutely. And as most of you know, they fall asleep. And they do that more than once. Well, finally, Judas comes back, bringing Roman soldiers with him. And he points out Jesus with, of all things, a kiss of betrayal. From there, uh, the disciples take off because Jesus is arrested. After that, Jesus is is mocked, he's beaten, he's whipped, he has chunks of his beard pulled out, he is spit upon, he is sentenced to death by execution, Roman style. All for things that he was not guilty of. So Jesus faces this Roman execution, being nailed to a cross, excruciating physical pain until death. But he also faces incredible spiritual pain that we cannot describe, we cannot imagine. Because God the Father is separated from God the Son. And for the first time and only time, God is separated from God. The reason for that stands before you and is seated before me. God was separated from God so that we would never have to be separated from God because of his love. Now that's a very high price. But God said, it's worth it because you are worth it. You know, we celebrate the birth of Jesus every year at Christmas time, and we should. But we should also highly celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus because this is the gift we could never buy ourselves. This is the price that we could never pay. This is the gift of God's grace, God's forgiveness. It's truly the best gift ever. So we read about it, this great gift, this payment, and then we see some responses, how people pay back this gift, how, how they tell God they're going to respond. So 
We're going to start in chapter 23, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified Jesus, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. And we're going to pause right there for just a second. The people stood watching. It kind of jumps out because there are people who are not engaged. They're, they're not willing to make a public stand for Jesus. I guess they're not really making a public stand against Jesus either. They're just observing. They're just watching. You know, some people today do the very same thing. Yeah, I'm not really sure about Jesus. A little bit uncertain. I mean, he seems like a good guy. I like a lot of his teachings. The ones I don't like, I'll just kind of ignore. But when he starts talking about that Savior thing and the idea that I might need to be saved from something, I don't know. I I think I'll just pass on that. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Jesus speaks to that kind of mentality, and he says, I know the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold, and because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's pretty strong language. See, Jesus is not okay with the people who stand on the sidelines, and to be honest, that idea, that those words were written to people who had already said that he was Lord. He's not okay with us standing on the sidelines. He compels us to make a decision. Is Jesus really the Son of God, or is he just another guy? Can Jesus really save us or not? And as the text continues in Luke, we see that people make a decision. Verse 35 again. uh, The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. While some people were uncertain about Jesus, others were very, very public in their ridicule. Religious rulers, soldiers, even a criminal who is dying, make fun of Jesus. Well, be careful who you mock. Underdogs can be pretty feisty. If you don't believe that, just pay attention to what happened on Thursday and Friday in the NCAA tournament, right? A record... Ten double-digit underdogs beat the team that was ranked higher than them. Here are a few of them. Yale upset Baylor. I actually called that one. Yay. Um, Northern Iowa beat Texas. Little Rock defeated Purdue. Some dude named Stephen F. Austin shocked the whole state of West Virginia. But most surprising of all, most painful to some of our people that we love. We do. We do. We love them is that Michigan State and their legendary coach, Tom Izzo, they were stunned by Middle Tennessee State. It was painful. 
Some of those underdogs were in beast mode, you know? They're like, seriously, do not take us lightly. It's called March Madness for a reason, I guess. It's interesting, hanging there on the cross, gasping for breath, suffering excruciating physical and spiritual pain, Jesus very much looks like the underdog. And some of the people who are there just, they launch verbal attacks, intentionally intending to pile on to the pain and the shame. But again, be careful who you mock. Though Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter and took the punishment that we deserved and paid the price we could never pay, make no mistake, Jesus was never an underdog. Never. The one who was ridiculed proved he is the victor. He did it first by conquering our sins on the cross. He did it three days later by defeating death and the grave. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And though they didn't see the whole picture, a few people knew Jesus uniquely offered a way into the kingdom of God. Verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him, speaking of the criminal who had rebuked Jesus, who had scorned him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The second thief is enlightened. His eyes are open to the truth. The very truth that Pilate just a few hours before said, I don't even know what truth is. Michael Card writes this, Now at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Luke finds another example of the theme he loves so well. As Jesus hangs on a cross, surrounded by howling religious leaders who have condemned him, a convicted criminal sees the truth to which their hatred has blinded them. As he hangs next to the blood-soaked rabbi from Nazareth, gasping for breath, he pushes up on the nails in his ankles. Like Jesus, he speaks in short, gasping phrases. Remember me, he whimpers. In that luminous moment, he sees two simple truths, his guilt and Jesus. And seeing that becomes his salvation. End quote. Think of it. The thief sees a man dying next to him, gasping, to stay alive, and yet says, 
Life comes through that man right there next to me. And he really doesn't care what other people think. He proclaims it. Now you might say, well, that's not really a big deal. I mean, the dude was dying, right? Well, I hate to break this news to you. Just a little secret here. We're all dying. We're all dying. As soon as you're born, you're on a journey toward death. I know that's, we don't talk about that, but it's the reality. We can choose to ignore it. We can choose not to talk about it. We can pretend like it's not coming. It's coming. Unless your name is Enoch or Elijah, you're going to die unless Jesus comes back first. It's just a matter of time. And so before that happens, recognize your guilt. Proclaim that Jesus can bring you into his eternal kingdom. Jesus turns his head, and he looks at the guilty man. As we saw Jesus proclaim to guilty Zacchaeus, as Jesus can proclaim to guilty us, Jesus proclaims to the guilty robber, and he says, salvation has come to you. So the first enlightened response to Jesus comes from, of all people, a criminal on a cross. The second enlightened response comes from a soldier. Matthew and Mark mention him as well, and both of them uh, say that in addition to praising God and declaring the innocence of Jesus, that he is righteous, he also says this, surely this man was the Son of God. So a Roman soldier and a robber recognize who Jesus is. As he has done so often before, Luke points out that the people that we would think are the least likely to respond are the ones who do. Why do we think it's any different today? The people that we would say, ah, they'll never respond to Jesus. They're often the ones who, because they need him so badly, respond so greatly. Because Jesus cares about them, they end up caring about Jesus. And through all of this, you kind of wonder, why didn't the religious leaders get it, right? I mean, they had the whole law and the prophets, and they studied it all the time. I mean... Surely there has to be at least one person among these educated people, right? There has to be at least one person who gets it, one person who recognizes Jesus. There's got to be at least one. Well, we know that there was at least one. Verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. All four 
men who record the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them mention this man, Joseph. We typically call him Joseph of Arimathea to distinguish him from the other Josephs in the Bible. He is a member of the religious high council. Most scholars think he was a Sadducee. He would have been very highly educated, very respected, very influential. John suggests he may have already been a follower of Jesus, but this much we know. He has a a really, really big reputation in the community, and he goes out on a limb, and he says, I want to stand up for Jesus. He's not content with Jesus being dishonored. He's not content with Jesus being buried in a poor man's tomb. He is not content to let his resources go unused. And so he takes the body of Jesus and wraps it in cloth at his own expense, puts Jesus in his own brand new tomb. Now the good news is it's only going to be used for three days, so he can sell it like new pretty much if he wants to. Joseph's devotion gives honor to Jesus even when everything seemed completely hopeless. And I think this is good news for people who who study the Word of God and, and who want to have not a religion but a relationship. Because a relationship makes a public statement and gives up things for Jesus, is willing to stand for him, honors him, even at its own expense and even when it seems rather bleak. And make no mistake, this is a rather bleak picture, isn't it? I mean, we've been following the life of Jesus for months and months and months and months and months, And this is where we've arrived. We've seen Jesus born. We've seen him at 12 go to the temple. We've seen him embrace the calling that Father God has placed on his life. We've seen Jesus proclaim good news for the poor, the broken, the people that are outside, the sinners. We've seen him touch people and heal people. We've we've seen him talk about the kingdom of God and explain who God really is and who we really are. And at the same time, we've seen the opposition continue to grow. And now, the opposition has devised a plot that leads to the death of Jesus. I realize we look back through history and we know what's coming, but imagine being there. But here's the thing. It wasn't their plot that succeeded. It was God's plan that succeeded. This was the plan all along. This is the very reason Jesus came to earth, to seek and save the lost. That's me, that's you, that's all of us. Jesus is the only one who could afford to pay for our sins. And he was the only one who was willing to pay the price. The one price that we could never pay. And again, he believes that you are absolutely worth it. It's truly the best gift ever. And that kind of just leads us to this question as we close. 
what have I done with this best gift ever? Now, Luke Johnston almost volunteered, but I asked him, and Luke's going to come up. Come on up, Luke. Um, Luke's going to come up and uh, just be kind of an example for us here. So uh, this is uh, Christmas wrapping paper, so it's a Christmas gift. Just a real quick question for you, Luke. Um, do you guys have any Christmas gifts at your house that are still unopened? Uh, no, we do not. Um, why is that? Because we open them all on Christmas. All right, well, why'd you do that? That's what you do. When you get a gift, what do you do? You, you open it. You open it. All right. So go ahead. That's yours. And yep, yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah, go ahead and open it. Just tear it right open. Don't, don't be like my dad who thinks you've got to recycle all the Christmas paper and everything. You know? we, we will recycle it. I just don't mean we're not going to. We don't need to reuse this, Dad. Love you, Dad. He usually listens to the sermons. You're my favorite, Dad. I love you. Okay. So, um, all right. So there we go. So we got, uh, we've got some nice candy here for Luke, three different varieties. Uh, one question for you, Luke. What, what what might you do with that? Um, probably put it in a bowl and put it out in our living room or in my office or something like that. Cool. And so that what? So that you can hog it all? No, so other people can eat it. Okay. So, all okay. Stuff. All right. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it, man. All right. So Luke opens the gift. Give him a hand. We we did not have that conversation beforehand. All I said was, "Hey, would you be willing to come up?" And he was like, "Sure." <laughs> but it was worth it. He, you guys all know who Luke is for one thing, and now you can bug him. But even more, Luke now has some candy. But I, I love the two things that he said. You know, well, I'm going to open it. It's a gift that's been given to me, and I'm not going to just keep it for myself. I'm going to share it. Well, duh. <laughs> Jesus is the best gift ever. What have we done with that gift? There are some people, maybe in this room, definitely outside of this room, who know about the gift. They've seen it, but they've never received it. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but if I gave someone a Christmas gift and it was, you know, nearly April and they hadn't opened it, I would kind of feel like they really didn't care about it, wouldn't you? I I certainly feel like they didn't really receive that gift because they haven't opened it. A gift has to be received. We have to receive Jesus. We do that by doing what the thief did and what later in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the next book that Luke writes, after Jesus goes to heaven, the, the church begins, and their pattern is really simple. They say, you know what? You have to know that you can't do this on your own, that we're all guilty before God. And we just admit that. And we say, you know, I am guilty, and also Jesus isn't. Jesus is innocent. And so he takes all my sin and pays the price that I can never pay. And I want to turn from the way I was living and walk in the way that God wants. And I want to be baptized, as Jesus said, right before he left this planet. Go and make disciples and and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then he'll be with us. And that's why after we become Christians, we get to walk with Jesus for the rest of our lives. So the first thing is we we take that gift and we open it. But isn't it kind of ridiculous that we would just keep that gift for ourselves? 
both Luke and, and in the first hour, Travis immediately said, well, you know, I would share this with people around me. I know it's harder in some ways to share Jesus than it is to share chocolate, but which one's more valuable? Which one is more necessary? If Jesus truly is the best gift ever, and he is, then let's share him. Let's tell others the good news. There is hope in the power of the cross. Jesus gave everything to save the world he loved. And this hope is an anchor for my soul. My God will stand unshakable. If you want to make that first time decision to, to accept that gift from Jesus, you can come forward. I'll be up here. We can just talk about it. We can pray about it. We can walk through that process. And for all of us that have said yes and opened that gift, let's, let's remember the, the importance of sharing the most precious gift ever given, the gift of eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Let's stand and sing.